Time for this week's edition of the Source Weekly Update, hot off the press and into your ear. Every week, found wherever you get audio. And now, let's take a look at some of the highlights from Volume 25, Issue 44, dated Thursday, October 31st. From our news desk, Cattle Mutilations and a Satanic Cult? Experts weigh in on the disturbing ongoing mutilations of livestock in Central Oregon by Kayla Clark. Over the course of the past three decades, over 10,000 animals across the U.S. have been systematically and inexplicably mutilated. In 1975, Kansas researchers Stanley and Carol Post discovered one of their cows dead, a hematoma on its head, its genitalia and udders surgically removed. Around the same time, they found a calf with its eye taken cleanly out of the socket. The end of the optic nerve cauterized to prevent bleeding. During the same year, Democratic Senator Floyd K. Haskell contacted the Federal Bureau of Investigations, urging that they look into the 130 mutilations that had taken place throughout the state of Colorado. Meanwhile, in Oregon, people reported a total of 73 cattle mutilations. Reports died down after the early 80s and didn't pick up again until recently. At the end of July 2019, a dead bull showed up on Sylvie's Valley Ranch in Central Oregon. Within 24 hours, ranch hands had discovered four more carcasses. The cattle's tongues and genitals had been surgically removed, and they had been completely drained of blood. It's a tabloid-worthy topic, seeing as a great deal of conspiracy theory surrounds the mutilations. The events have certainly had no lack of media coverage, leading to a host of crazy conjectures ranging from Bigfoot to government corruption. The popular opinion, however, seems to be extraterrestrial activity. Sneaky aliens coming down from Earth, mutilating livestock, and creeping back to their UFOs, tote bags full of souvenir cow penises. Another widespread speculation is the involvement of satanic cults. Interestingly enough, according to local experts, this may be the most likely story. Scott Duggan, a livestock agent in Central Oregon and Warm Springs, and a livestock extension agent for Oregon State University Extension Service, offered some professional insight. I'd be a liar if I didn't say it had us all pretty stumped, he said. Our first thought was poisonous plants. Lupine was really prevalent this spring, but killing a bull is no small feat. Duggan explained that if the cattle did die as a result of lupine consumption, which isn't likely, crows and magpies may have eaten their eyes. But what about the precisely removed genitalia and the fact that the animal had been completely drained of blood? David Bonnert, a ruminant nutritionist and extension beef cattle specialist, also with OSU Extension Service, offered his professional opinion as well. In an email to The Source Weekly, Bonnert wrote, I believe that someone killed the bulls. Death of healthy cattle on rangelands is normally due to one of three situations. These are, one, naturally occurring causes, such as poisonous plants, and unfortunate circumstances slash accidents, such as drowning, lightning, etc. Two, predation, wolves, cougars, bears, etc. And three, humans killing for fun, rituals, food, etc. Bonnert continued, The time of year that the bulls were killed, and the locations of the animals where they died, would make it highly unlikely that this was due to poisonous plants, he continued, 
Also, it does not appear to be predation, based on the condition of the bulls. This leaves human causes as the most likely explanation, in my opinion. Now from our outside section. Finishing is what matters. 82-year-old Charlene Tobin will run her 66th half marathon this weekend in a Happy Girls Sisters race. By Laurel Bronze. Charlene Char Tobin's first running shoes were a pair of white Adidas countries with green stripes, the smallest size made for men. That was in 1971, when she lived in Kailua on the windward side of Oahu. Tobin first began running barefoot in the nearby parks in order to give her new black lab, who was prone to getting away, more exercise. 48 years later, at age 82, she's gearing up for her 66th half marathon this weekend in the Happy Girls Sisters Run, where she'll be joined by her oldest daughter, Mary Sisloff, and her daughter-in-law, Elizabeth Tobin. One of the neat things about the Happy Girls races, why I will always support them, they celebrate women's running, period, Tobin said. All of the Happy Girls races are less competitive. It doesn't matter how fast you are, what age you are, everyone feels honored. Finishing is what matters. Tobin ran her first long-distance race in 2001, the Portland Marathon, thanks to the encouragement of Sisloff, who was originally inspired to run by her mother. Tobin's first half-marathon was also that year, on Washington's Mercer Island. After those races, she made it a goal to try to run a marathon in or near all the places she had lived since she started jogging in her 30s, which included races in Honolulu, Seattle, Washington, D.C., and Big Sur, California. She has currently earned 65 medals for half-marathons. Now the plan is to finish 84 half-marathons by the time she turns 84 in June 2021, which will also be her 50-year anniversary of running. One of the reasons I'm still able to do this is I've never really pushed myself. I've not done speed work, Tobin said. I'm out there enjoying the experience, trying to train mostly on soft trails. Typically, a half marathon takes Tobin between three to three and a half hours. She plans to fast walk the race this weekend, mostly at the insistence of Sisloff, who witnessed Tobin take a bad fall during the Happy Girls Sisters race three years ago. Tobin still finished the race, but ended up with 24 stitches in her arm. What she doesn't know is that I run by myself, Tobin said laughing. And finally, from Smoke Signals, our cannabis column. Luba fires first shots across Deschutes County Bow. Will it be the first of many? By Jeremy Dickman. For the first time since marijuana production has been legal in Deschutes County, the Board of County Commissioners received some feedback from the Oregon Land Use Board of Appeals, about how their interpretations of marijuana land use rules square with state law. The feedback was pretty simple. Try again. In a unanimous opinion filed October 17th, Luba struck down one of the county's decisions, denying a land use permit to waive Sierra of Oregon for marijuana production. County commissioners in February had voted 2-0 to zero to deny the application. Commissioner Tony DeBone was absent. The two no votes? were from Commissioners Patty Adair and Phil Henderson, on the basis that the facility was proposed to exist too close to Rhinestone Ranch, which Henderson and Adair claimed fit the description of a youth activity center, which requires a 1,000-foot buffer from any marijuana farm. The youth activity center issue has been frequently put before the county by residents who object to proposed marijuana farms in rural farm areas. 
A YAC is not defined in the Deschutes County Code, so its definition has been essentially manufactured through an amalgamation of county decisions by commissioners, specifically by Adair and Henderson. In the case of the Waveseer decision, neighbors appealed and insisted that the for-profit Rhinestone Ranch was a YAC because the ranch frequently hosted children, as well as adults, on its land for horseback riding lessons. In a more recent case, commissioners struck down another marijuana application because it was close to an EFU parcel that catered to families seeking to purchase timeshare recreational activities. That application was denied two to one, with DeBone dissenting. In the case of Waveseer, the county concluded that the properties rise to the level of a YAC, due to their inherent characteristic as being a place where activities center around youth on a regular basis. In its appeal to Luba, Waveseer argued that Rhinestone Ranch was more akin to agro-tourism or other forms of commercial activities. Waveseer further argued that the county's classification of YACs, as set out in their denial, would create a slippery slope resulting in illogical and unreasonable results. What would prevent neighbors from merely claiming that their property engages in youth activities if no permit is required? Waveseer asked. Luba agreed, finding that the county's Waveseer decision offers zero guidance to potential marijuana entrepreneurs seeking land in the EFU zone, such that they won't be surprised by a pop-up YAC. The county's broad interpretation of Youth Activity Center is unreasonable, Luba held, because there's no way for an applicant to determine if a particular EFU zone property could be used for marijuana production. The county's interpretation of Youth Activity Center is so amorphous and uncertain that we conclude it is unreasonable. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Source Weekly Podcast. Be sure to pick up your free copy of the Source Weekly wherever you find yourself in Central Oregon or log on to our website, bensource.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Sam Scholl.